Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, lagonvalleyvineyard.com. Today's scripture reading is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. The words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Good morning, good morning, good morning. We're going to try one more time. Good morning. Excellent. Hey, if we have not met yet, my name is Chris. I'm the youth pastor here at Lagan Valley Vineyard. Last night, I was in Tesco's um, grabbing a few last-minute things, and uh, the woman at checkout, she was an elderly lady at the checkout, asked me what I did for a living, and before I get the words out, she said, let me guess, hairdresser? (laughs) And I said, thank you, but no, and I said, I'm a youth pastor. She's like, aren't you a bit young? And I was like, it's in the name, youth pastor. (laughs) And uh, she was like, oh, well, well, what church? And I said, oh, the vineyard, um, just around in Altona State. She said, vineyard, is that like the Elam? I was like, "Ah, yeah, like a little bit, a little bit. She's like, it's like lively worship. And I was like, yep, yep. She's like, you all bring tambourines. And I was like, (laughs) yeah, something like that, you know? (laughs) But if this is your first time here, and you're not used to this, you're incredibly welcome. Um, next week, we all have permission from James, I can assure you, to bring our tambourines to worship. So uh, bring your own tambourine next week. We'll all have some fun with that. Um, don't actually. Well, you can if you want. I don't know. Um, the last few weeks, we've been journeying through a series called The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. What a beautiful name for a series. And we've been discovering all about this passage in Matthew. In the last few weeks, if you've been attentive enough, our staff team have been having goes at coming up and sharing their heart around this passage of scripture. And as they got up at the start, they shared that, like, the big news in their life, like they all got married this year and their six-month anniversary and all that kind of stuff. And I myself also have some pretty life-altering news to share with you as well. I, uh, I got a dog this year. And, uh, yeah, and there he is. That's Oscar. Um, it's, pretty, it's a pretty big deal. He is blonde and loves bacon like his dad. Someone said in the first service, he's blonde and beautiful like his dad. Thanks, Nan. And, uh, but he is great. For all you young parents in the room, um, we are in this together, all right? I can, I can relate. And you know what? It is hard. It, what they say is true. It is hard, but it is so rewarding. So uh, we're going to do this together. If you want to meet and pray after, we can do that and uh, discuss parenting in all its fullness. Of course, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, without further ado, let's jump in, and no better place to start than the text that we read. Um, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Matthew 11 and verse 28 and keep that open. If you're using the black Bibles that are on the seats, it's page number 678. If you don't have either, don't worry, it's above me on the screen, and I will read it out. Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. 
This is Jesus speaking. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you will learn to live freely and lightly. These next few moments that we have as a community, I would love to open up this passage and discuss certain aspects of it, drawing from its richness. And what we want to focus on is this idea of a light burden, an easy yoke, that inside this passage holds the key for us to live free from a performance or a works righteousness mindset and into one of true freedom. Before I get too carried away, let me pray and we'll jump in. Jesus, thank you that you're alive and thank you that you're near. I thank you that your word is true and it is life to our souls. And as we open it, would you speak to us? Would you reveal who you are to us? Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, the last few weeks, we've been in a series called The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. If you haven't been with us, here's the big idea. This summer, we have set out on discovering and exploring what it looks like to fully step into a season of rest and replenishment by camping around the specific text in Matthew. The idea that we've been discussing is that we live in an age of busyness and distraction, which can easily leak into a spirituality based on effort and performance. We're gonna explore this specific teaching of Jesus and dive into the depths of it to discover a different way to live. Jesus invites us to follow him and order our lives in an alternative way to the waters that we swim in. He invites us to not live from busyness, effort, or performance, but from grace. And in doing so, allows us to enter into a balanced way of life that will paradoxically lead to greater, more significant fruitfulness in the kingdom. As we have learned already, as we have discussed in these last few weeks, is that it's fair to say that the vast majority of us struggle with some sort of fatigue or anxiety that never really seems to go away. And if it does, it rarely stays away for long. If you're anything like me, when I read passive scripture like this, something in me is awoke. I become alive in the text. Lightly and freely are words that I want, and I think if we're honest, we all long for. But again, if you're anything like me, Oftentimes, it's not my felt experience. I do feel tired. I do feel worn out. And at times, I do feel burned out. Verses like this are great, but sometimes they can leave us in a place of just not being able to relate to what's actually being said. I think we all experience this. There is an emotional weight to life. And as years go by, it seems to be something that builds more and more and more. But there is good news. 
that inside this small passage of scripture, inside these few words of Jesus, is a key to unlock a whole new way of following him, a whole new dimension of what it means to be human and to live. It sounds simple, yet it is unbelievably groundbreaking that if we want the life of Jesus, which is one free from busyness and performance, then we must adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Oftentimes we focus on the theology that Jesus introduced, which is amazing, or the ethics, the do's and don'ts, which are all great things. But what Jesus is doing in this moment is introducing a whole new way of life. He's introducing a lifestyle, a day-to-day, hour-by-hour solution to what we are facing. Typical Jesus fashion, if you've been anywhere around the Gospels, you realize this is what he does. He uses imagery to portray it. A yoke, which in the Greek is zygos, which would have been very applicable to that time, was a wooden frame joining two animals, usually would have been oxen, for putting heavy loads. This image was used metaphorically to describe one's individual subjection to another. See, for there to be a new yoke introduced, which Jesus is talking about, there, that means that there had to be an old one in contrast. What is that? The current yoke that Jesus is addressing and speaking into is that the Pharisees are advocating a performance-based standing with God, a works-based righteousness. What do we mean by the word righteousness? Righteousness, by simple definition, is right standing with God. And their self-righteousness approach imposed that what they did to turn where they stood with God. If they were good, then they were in good terms with them. If not, then they weren't. And thus this fueled a performance-based yoke. Jesus' invitation is a stark contrast from the religious burden of Phariseeism. His yoke, which is a metaphor of discipleship to him, a metaphor for a lifestyle with him, promises rest from the weariness and burden of religious regulation and human oppression because it is none other than commitment to him. But if you're like me, and if I'm being totally honest, I've, I have some questions right now. Jesus is saying he's a yoke. It's a, a weight that is placed on animals. It sounds a little strange. Frederick Drillburner says this. A yoke is a work instrument. Listen, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a trip to the Costa del Sol, not a yoke. But Jesus realized that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees life as a succession of burdens. We cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering an escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, which is his yoke, his lifestyle, will develop us in a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we've been previously living. Jesus is not merely saying he wants to be an addition to what we're already carrying. Jesus, what he's saying is he wants to replace the method in which we carry. You see, the hardest way to follow Jesus and the guaranteed way to burn out is just by adding him on top of everything else that we're doing, simply as an addition. But the easiest way to follow him is by radically altering your entire lifestyle around his teachings. The hardest way is to make him just a part of what you're doing. The easiest way is to ask the question is, what are you doing and how can I join in? Recently, over the last few weeks, I've uh, got back into the gym. You can tell, Chris. Thanks, guys. And uh, it's been great. We were up at Move last week, and the first night of Move, they gave this disclaimer around um, 
no alcohol or drugs or weapons, and if you have any of them, please, and ha please go and hand them in. And one of my young people walked up to the person who did the announcement and said, I'm here to hand in some weapons. And they were like, oh my goodness, what have you got? Like, and he handed us two biceps and said, I'm really sorry, I brought these. Um, well, not name who it was, Elliot Hall, but um, <laughs> Elliot also, his chat up line of the week was he told girls that he goes to the gym eight days a week. So, <laughs> noted that one down too. I'm going to use that now and again. Um, but I turned 26 recently. I know, shocker. Um, don't look a day over 25. Um, but I decided that at the age of 26, I wanted this to be my year, that I was in the best shape emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And I'm a pastor, so you, the emotional and spiritual thing I've kind of got on lock. <laughs> Not really. But I decided I also want to give this idea of getting fit a go. And so I decided to, um, to go for it. And typically how this has worked in the past is that I get a membership, I go a few weeks, and then I kind of get bored, and I stop going altogether. And I just decide that I'd rather play football. And because at least in football, there's a winner and a loser. Anyone who knows me, I'm a little competitive. And uh, I like to win or lose. In the gym, I feel like I'm just lifting stuff, you know? I'm like, what am I actually doing here? And so I decided that I want to learn from my mistakes. And uh, so I asked a friend, a good friend of mine, if he would train me, if he would help me understand what this whole gym ruckus is about. And that was 15 weeks ago, and honestly, it's the first time in my life that I've actually stuck to it. I actually am enjoying it. I feel like I'm getting stronger. I feel like I'm getting fitter, and I'm really, really enjoying it. And the main difference as to why it's worked this time, as opposed to the previous time, Benji Bear is training me, standing in the back laughing at me. So um, the main reason why this has worked this time and not the previous time is that for the first time, I learned how to load and lift weight correctly. And I also understood tempo and technique, the pace in which we are doing that. And the two things I've observed that cause injury when it comes to the gym very often is down to the weight that we lift and the pace in which we lift it. I need to understand my own limitations when it comes to lifting weights. And as you can tell, it's not a lot. But I want to push myself as well. And for, for me to do that, I need to understand the boundaries in which I'm working inside. When I worked with a trainer, I learned that. And I also need to understand pace. For me, previously, the gym was all about reps and sweat. If I came out and I looked like I had a shower with clothes on, it was a good day. <laughs> and it was all about doing that. That's what made me feel like I was achieving something. But the effectiveness of a lift can be compromised when all we focus on is how fast we are doing it rather than the technique and the engagement that we're actually using. When we get these things out of sync, we get injured and we can get wounded. When it comes to the yoke that Jesus is talking about, I feel like these two same components are the things that can cause us the most damage in our relationship with Jesus. Us not understanding our limitations, us not understanding the pace in which Jesus is walking us through things can cause great damage to our lives, to our souls, to our friendships and our relationships. And so what I'd love to do over these next few moments is to unpack these ideas around limitations and pace. It's clear to see from this passage that the people cannot carry the weight of the law. They are being crushed by the weight of it. The standard that has been set for them is too high for them to personally obtain. And in trying to obtain it, they are injuring and hindering their inner world. And like a barbell that is too heavy, they're injuring themselves, even though they have the best intentions. 
the standard in which we could not attain, which was this yoke, was placed on Jesus. And instead of that, a yoke that was placed on us was one that is light, releasing us from performance and stepping us into freedom. The beauty of us understanding our limitation is that we begin to understand our potential. Our limitation creates a segue into us understanding our potential. See, Genesis, if we go back to the start of Scripture, Genesis tells us that we are made from the dirt of the ground. He breathed life into it. That means that we are finite. It means that ultimately one day we will pass away. We have a distinct limitation as being human. But it also says that we're made in the image of God, that we carry his divine mark, in which opens up a whole new realm of potential and possibility. We cannot carry nor should we carry, attempt to carry the weight that is placed upon us. His power is made perfect through our weakness. It is the weak made strong. We must learn to shift our dependency onto God and live with the God gap. What is that? Living with the God gap means that there's a gap in our lives in which God needs to fill for things to be possible, for the dreams of our friends and our families and our cities to come to be and come to pass. We cannot fill that on our own and on our own strength, but only God can, only on our dependency on his infinite ability. The next that I wanna spend a little bit more time on, and I feel like links back into limitation, is this idea of peace. I think it's extremely crucial when it comes to this idea of the easy yoke. You see, for us to come alongside this joke that Jesus has implemented, that he is advocating, means that we must adapt our pace to his pace. The example of Jesus is beautiful and it is clear. He lived a full life. The gospels tell us that and show us that very clearly. But yet he was never once in a hurry. I wonder if I was to ask you what are the five things that could cause most damage to your inner world, to your spiritual life, to your soul. For me, I don't think hurry would be in the top five. But Dallas Willard says this, hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Other scholars have went on to say that hurry is violence to our very souls and inner world, which manifests in frustration and burnout. Have you ever noticed what being in a hurry can do to you in traffic? Suddenly you start saying things you're not allowed to say in church and giving hand signals that aren't hello or goodbye. <laughs> but it surfaces whenever we're in a hurry. It rises to the top when we're in a hurry. Oftentimes we think that the solution is that we just need more time. We just need to make more time available. That if we had another day in the week, another few hours in that day, suddenly everything would go away. The truth is, is that over the last hundreds of years, there's been significant shifts in our world, what is happening around us. In 996 AD, Christian monks invented the clock, which eventually would come around to introduce the nine to five workday. 1878 saw the invention of the light bulb by Thomas Edison, which completely shifted humanity as the average amount of sleep obtained by an American went from 12 hours to seven hours. More recently, in 2007, we've seen the introduction of the iPhone. And as we've been learning over the last few weeks, all these things were supposed to assist us and help us become more efficient. 
but in actual fact, it's just left us more tired and busy than ever. A generation that is never slowing down. It's got to the point that now doctors are diagnosing hurry sickness as an actual thing. Doctors will literally diagnose this over your life. Here are the three symptoms of hurry sickness if you're wondering if you have it. Brace yourself. Um, you change uh, checkout lines based on the amount of people that are in that checkout line or how fast or slow they're going through it. Anyone relate? Just me? We got a few hands. You change lanes of traffic depending on the traffic lights and if there is an L driver on front of you. Then the last one is that we multitask to the point that we actually forget the initial task in which we were doing. I don't know if the females can relate to that, but I'm sure the men can. Call me Dr. Chris, because I'm going by the laughs here that a few of you have just been diagnosed with hurry sickness. The stark and sad reality surrounding all this is that moments of encounter, moments of meaningful encounter with Jesus, our friends or our community rarely happen when we are in a state of hurry. Hurry causes us to literally walk in circles. Here's what it looks like. Michael Zagarli says this. Maybe the case that Christians are assimilating to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, which leads to two, God becoming more marginalized in Christian lives, which leads to three, a deteriorating relationship with God, which leads to four, Christians becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live, which leads to five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload, and the cycle begins again. Here's a practical indication that we are in a state of of busyness, is that we say things like, how did I end up back in this place once again? How do I feel this way once again? How is my marriage, my relationship back in this place? I thought it would have been different. It's a sobering thought. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Speeding up is not helping us and going faster is not the solution. It is by definition insanity. And we find ourselves ever growing into this issue. Therefore, what do we do? Well, it's hidden in plain sight as we have seen in this passage and it's the end of it, of what Eugene Peterson says, says, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. For all you creatives, here's a visual aid. I'm gonna ask James to assist me. Give James a round of applause. James had a big year this year. He got married, but he didn't get a dog. So um, here's what what hurry looks like. Hurry is is an issue of peace. And so whenever we're in a hurry, there's more things to do. We have more things going on and we decide that we need to hurry up and speed up to get all these things done. And just like being in the Corsa of your mate who's 17, just passed driving test in the back left, when they go around a roundabout, the weight shifts to who's in the back left. And suddenly the limitation and the weight is placed on us. Are you getting dizzy? I'm getting a little bit dizzy. <laughs> it's placed on us and suddenly we feel crushed by it and therefore we just speed up more and more and more and we're spinning in circles. We look great, don't we? <laughs> but here's what happens when we align our pace. James, I need you again. I need you again. You had one job. It says, <laughs> <laughs> well, I got friends these days, eh? 
The passage says to walk with him and to work with him and watch how he does it, to keep company with him. And when we keep company with Jesus, James, I'm telling you your analogy for Jesus here, we begin to watch the pace in which he is working at. The workload is shared and suddenly I'm able to lift my head and look around. I'm able to actually understand what vision and direction looks like. We're gonna turn around here. I'm not spinning in circles, but there's actual momentum to what's happening. Instead of spinning in pointless circles, we're moving in line. Thank you, James. That was great. Round of applause. <laughs> Circles is the state of hurriedness. Our pace picks up and it just spins us back round in circles. But when we actually lift our heads, when we keep company with him and understand his pace, we begin to lift our heads. The load is shared and we begin to understand what is happening in front of us. We are released with vision and purpose and we start moving into something. The special forces have this phrase, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Modern infantry combat centers around mobility. If you can't move, you get pinned down, but if you move too fast, you'll get surrounded and outflanked. We're built to move in peace with him, but at his pace. Not so fast that we start spinning in circles, but at his pace. James the band, if you just want to come up, we're coming into land. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. There's literally a, a pace to that sentence. We've taught on this passage. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. There's a step-by-step pace to that. And it's through that that we understand the unforced rhythms of grace. What is grace? Grace is the unmerited favor of heaven upon your life. There's a pace we could suggest to grace, a literal pace to it. And I feel like the life of Jesus illustrates this well. Let me explain. Thousands of years before Jesus set foot on this earth, thousands of messianic prophecies were spoken over his life. In three years of public ministry, Jesus fulfilled every one of those prophecies and he never ran once. He walked everywhere. He was the king of the universe. He could have taken any, anything, a horse in a carriage or whatever. I know what you're thinking. Actually, he took a donkey. A donkey is a walking animal. He moved at a pace that was consistent. Here's what's important about pace. Pace is not fast or slow, it is set. And so you might be in busyness, it might be a busy time for you, that is not necessarily bad. You might even be in a slower, more effective space, that is also not bad. What is attentive is to know is that pace is set and we only realize that when we keep company with him. We only realize that when we get close to him. There's a story in the Bible, this, I, I feel illustrates this unbelievably well. Jairus is a man whose daughter has just died and he comes running to Jesus, literally running to him. Jesus, I need you to heal my daughter. She's, she's died, she's dead, like time is running out. I need you to come and heal her. And Jesus responds, but he begins to walk. He doesn't run, he walks. That's pretty unusual. If your arm was hanging out, you wouldn't just walk to the to NE, you'd run. You'd be in a rush. There would be a sense of urgency, yet he walks. And what happens as he walks to Jairus' daughter is that a crowd gather around him. A crowd that begin to witness what Jesus is doing. A crowd that begin to see the kingdom demonstrated before their eyes, become witnesses of his deeds. But more beautifully, 
a woman who's a bleeding problem, who's been sat on a rug for years upon years, striving to make a solution for herself, gets up off her rug, breaks through a crowd, touches Jesus' cloak, and is instantly healed. Jesus then stops realizing the power has left his body and turns around and has a conversation. We can almost imagine Jarius in front of Jesus, like hurrying him along. Hurry, 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 my daughter, my daughter, hurrying him along, yet he is walking. Jairus is almost a prophetic image of Western culture right now as it's hurrying us into the next thing, yet he walks at a pace that allows a woman to get up off a mat and experience healing. And eventually it goes on that he gets to Jairus' daughter and she is healed. She is raised from the dead. But it's fair to assume that if he ran, that woman maybe never would have been able to get close to Jesus and touch him. A crowd maybe wouldn't have been able to get around him. But the pace he set allowed that to happen. The pace he set allowed people to get close to him. You see, when we find the pace that Jesus is setting us, when we get close to it, we realize that there is a literal pace to grace that he sets What he sets, he sustains. He carries the weight of that. The pace that he sets in our seasons, the pace that Jesus sets, he sustains. Anything above that, we then sustain. What he starts, he sustains. What we start on top of that, we must sustain. And this is where performance kicks in and we get ahead of ourselves. But if we follow the pace that he is setting, and we walk at the pace that he is with, we walk with him, work with him. If we watch how he does it, suddenly we experience the pace of grace where we see fruit all around us. We see people encountering the kingdom and it being demonstrated all around us, yet still we maintain the health of our souls, our families and our friendships and our communities. It is a beautiful picture of the pace that he is setting us. If I'm being really, really honest. When I began to prepare this, I began to worry because the last eight weeks of my life have just felt fast and I have felt tired. And to be honest, I've, I've felt pretty weak sometimes. But I realized at the start of summer, looking ahead of it, that it was gonna be busy. This has easily been one of the busiest summers I've had. I realized that it was gonna be busy. I knew it wouldn't last forever, but I realized in this time that it was gonna be busy. This summer, we went into Laura Hill. We then went from there to Ibiza. We had Love Lagan Valley. And then we were just back from Booth, which no sleep was gotten there. And we've seen some incredible things happen this summer. In Laura Hill, we got to open a conversation with 400 young people around who Jesus truly is and what he means for their lives. From first to third year in Laura Hill, every pupil heard that message, two parts. In Ibiza, we've seen three people give their life to Jesus and got to pray with almost 200 people. In Love Lang Valley, myself and our young leaders got to build amazing relationships with youth initiatives in our city that has opened up a whole new doorway to what we can do next year. And at Move, six young people said yes to Jesus. <laughs> we sat in a room for three hours on a Thursday night and our leaders sat back. 13 young people shared about how Jesus met them this week spoke into their situation and has released them into a beautiful future. Some amazing stuff has happened and here's the point. 
Am I tired? Yes. Do I feel worn down? A little bit. But here's the point. Do I feel burdened? No. I feel light. And honestly, most of the last eight weeks, I've found myself just stepping back and watching God do stuff among our community. Stepping back and watching Him move. Operate in the pace of grace. Changing situations, changing lives and moving. But we only get it when we keep company with Him. When we walk with Him. When we work with Him. When we watch how He does it. We realize that the burden is light. It is free. And that there is a pace to the grace that He sets. And He sustains what He sets. He sustains what He starts. And there's fruit to be found all around that. Here's what I want to do in response. Why don't you jump to your feet? is oftentimes seasonal. There's things that happen and that we walk through that Jesus sets different paces for those moments and for those situations. And for some of us, we are in the midst of a really difficult situation. We're walking through heartache or pain. We're walking through bad news. There is a pace that he has set inside that season. And he wants to sustain you in that season. But he also wants to unlock grace, the favor of God onto that situation for him to move and to operate amongst it. He wants to release that to you. And for some of us, we're going through an amazing time. Stuff's all happening. It's exciting. There's a pace to that as well, where he wants to slow us down. He wants to show us clearly what he is doing and demonstrating. Those are keys to our future. There's things he wants to share to us in those moments that are so significant that we must be attentive, but we only get it when we slow down. When we stop going in circles, we start going in straight lines. So here's what I want us to do. Whenever a newborn child is held against his father's chest, eventually its heartbeat will reciprocate the heartbeat. As time goes by, it begins to go in sync. It takes time. What I believe this morning is that God wants to adjust peace for some of us. He wants to set a peace in this season and there's grace on that. And for some of us, he wants to slow us down. And so what I'd love to do is in a minute, we're going to worship. Before I do, if you, could, if you would like to respond to this, we're going to have a moment of repentance. Repentance is just turning 180 degrees away from something into something new. It's stepping away from the pace that we are setting ourselves and that we are sustaining into one that he is setting and that he is sustaining. And for us to turn around full circle and say, I want to, I want to operate on your pace. And I want you to sustain and carry what I'm walking through, not me. And so if that's you, what I'd love for us to do, if you close your eyes and place your hand on your chest. And I believe literally as you almost feel your heartbeat, the peace of your heartbeat, that you would actually understand heartbeats, the heartbeat of heaven over your life and over your season. The peace that Jesus is setting right now for you fresh. So we're gonna enter into worship, we're gonna reflect. It's helpful for you to keep your hand on your chest and allow him to set Allow him to speak into what's happening right now and allow him to sustain you.
So here's how we're going to practically respond to this. Um, we have a, a group of young people over here, um, leaders and young people also, that have just been on an amazing journey these last few weeks. And what I think is beautiful about people, if you get around people who've just said yes to Jesus for the first time or said yes to him again, they become aware of their limitation in a whole new sense. Because they're aware of what God has done for them and made a way for them. And they also have a very distinct peace. Jesus walking them through stuff. It's like learning to walk on grass, all fresh. And it's beautiful what's happening. And what I would love for us to do is these guys are gonna come up. If you guys, they're in twos. If you guys literally wanna line up across the front now as I'm sharing, come on ahead. You guys know who you are. Now there's some of us in the room who've been following Jesus for 20 years. And as time goes by, we begin to think that we actually can sustain what we're going through, that we can actually sustain what is happening in our lives. And there are people here that have been following Jesus for two weeks and they have something to give you this morning. They have something to introduce you to this morning, a new peace. And so here's the thing, this scares these guys as much as it scares you guys to come up to the front and receive prayer. These guys are were not happy about doing this. No, they, they were happy. They were happy. They're still a little bit free. But even if you're like, I'm not sure if my pace is off or not, just come up and get prayer. Prayer is prayer, right? It's all good, okay? And at least it leaves these guys encouraged as well. But I really believe there's something significant in this. It's people, people who are newly afresh, walking and following Jesus, discovering who he is in his goodness, crashes into our peace and resets something in us. And so if you want to reset your peace this morning, realign your peace, you want to walk out through these doors understanding that he's sustaining it, I would love for you guys to come up right now. These young people would love to pray for you there too. Come up, whatever it looks like.